0: The Dragonlance Nexus is proud to present the Dragonlance Canticle. Uh, Greetings friends and fellow companions and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Dragonlance Canticle. My name is Trampus Whiteman and I'm telling you right now, if you are not watching One Division, what is wrong with you?
1: My name is John Ryan, uh, and what is wrong with me is I'm so far behind on the Marvel movies, I probably wouldn't have an idea of who
2: half the people are. <laughs> my name is Chuck Martinell, and what's wrong with me is I am bored to tears, and I have better things to do, like watching paint dry. Oh,
3: ouch, 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 ouch. Well, my name is Weldon Chen. And I, what is wrong with me is that I am subscribed to HBO Max for the month, so no One Division for me. It's all about the Teen Titans, and in about a week, the Schneider Cut.
0: Nice, nice. So, yeah, folks, um, uh, if you have not seen One Division, I, I will not spoil it here for anybody. But I'm just going to say it is one of the uh best written shows that I've seen in a long while and the first time in a long while that the shows have ended and leaving me just begging for more so um you know you might watch some of the uh, um Avengers movies to get caught up uh but after that um have a little fun with WandaVision and it's great too if you're a fan of classic tv like I am so um, that's my pro tip for the day. And that is it as well for our cast of characters. Um, <clears throat> it's a little bit late on a Saturday night, but that's okay because we have the crew that's in, um, Ed's not with us today. He's got other things going on and I'll, uh, respect his privacy on that. Uh, but he's had some good news in his life. And so, um, we're really happy for him. Um, He's anyway, still finishing that suspension I gave him? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> oh, so what's everybody been up to?
4: Well, my, uh, I haven't been on in a while. Uh, so, um,
1: my 5e, uh, Price of Courage game, Uh, we've actually had a session um, via Fantasy Grounds and Discord uh, about a month and a half ago, and my local store is going to be opening up soon for gaming uh, with with safety and measures uh, in place, so we will be able to get uh, the gang back together for that uh, after going almost a year now with uh, one and a half sessions. Um, But I'm also doing uh, the Tyranny of Dragons campaign, the Horde of the Dragon Queen, in 5th edition um, Dragonlance uh, just about every week, every Thursday. Uh, And one of the players, uh, they just hit 5th level, and they spent the last several sessions doing a test of high sorcery. So, um, as always, those are very, very fun to create and run uh, as you can do just about anything you want. Um, and since we're on a, a time, travel kick, the, uh, time travel kick with the game, I had the, uh, the theme for his test to be the past, present, and future. So some things from his past, some things from his recent present, and looking forward in the book, uh, I pulled out a couple things from the future. So he almost died. Um, it was, uh, no, as he should, <laughs> the, was, he wanted, I, I, pulled the rules from the third edition, um, tires to, uh, of a higher sorcery and he wanted to do a soul forge version. So the DCs on everything was ramped up the stats on all the monsters, the hit points, everything was ramped up. Um, so it was quite a bit harder than, uh, it normally would have been, but they, they came out, uh, barely by the skin of their teeth, and uh, he was awarded the red robes, and a nice staff of fire, and uh, a couple of other goodies. So, and his he nice. he almost died. He almost died from a fireball that was cast from that staff. Uh, so his his kind of permanent um, effect is like his for forevermore his his face and his arms. You know part of it appears uh burned and scarred, so he's kind of got a you know that 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 is his lasting effect from such a hard
0: test, and his pupils look like dancing flames
4: they do now <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that sounds awesome, <laughs> yeah.
0: All right, Chuck. What do you got going on, bud?
4: Well,
2: I'm about ready to begin kick off a new campaign. I'm doing a Dragonlance Ravenloft crossover. It's been a while since I've done something like this, where they're going to be sucked into Dragonlance or sucked into Ravenloft from Dragonlance, and then vice versa, kicked back out and sucked back in a couple more times. I'm literally looking forward to it. I'm placing it in Dragonlance's. Latest timeline, so South is gone. Spoilers, we didn't know that. Maybe I should say that before the spoiler. But <laughs> just, just rewind and it never happened. Uh, but yeah, oh, so man. we'll be we'll be exploring some Sithicus there and seeing who resides there currently and who's in charge. Uh, I'm really looking forward to running some 5e Dragonlance uh, using. Uh, the five e Dragonlance uh, Tasses uh, pouches of
4: everything. Is it Tasselhoff? Nice. it got like David so, Hasselhoff. Yeah, <laughs> I, just put, I just put that
0: together. I, I still remember when Sean McDonald um, on Encyclopaedia had a Tasselhoff versus Hasselhoff thing. Uh, this is ages ago, but it was a lot of fun. <laughs> You even has a story on how they uh, met. <laughs> so I you actually remember who David Hasselhoff is. That's going to be the real hey, question. The entire population of Germany, sir.
2: <laughs> it's true. Germany is our third largest market for this podcast.
4: <laughs> true. Fact.
2: We are like we so, are like the seventh most popular fantasy fi- fantasy podcast there.
0: <clears throat> so, um, <laughs> oh. oh, what was it I was going to ask you? Uh, so here's my question for you: Will you be making use of Kinder Vampire? Uh, vampires? Those are, those
4: are a thing.
3: Of oh, oh, no. a thing in Ravenloft yeah, yes, of course I know they a thing,
4: a thing. <laughs> Dang. Oh,
2: Yes dude. I'll have can- so. Vander vampires As uh, waiters and servers And their heads on pikes <laughs>
0: <laughs> As well as they should be in Ravenloft Well cool cool Well then what you got going on?
3: Well Nothing very much going on Life is uh, basically going on As it currently is Um, I guess uh, I've been watching rumors on the internet uh, on what eventually may or may not be uh, Dragonlance rules or game products coming out. Um, There was um, an article in the Piazza which um, basically brought in a podcast about someone who was talking about uh, the Hasbro um, shareholders meeting. And among it was that Wizards of the Coast did brilliantly last year. Everyone's really, really happy about it. And one of the selling points about why the new restructuring of Wizards of the Coast and the digital um, outlet in gaming was going to be the fact that um, Ravenloft and a lot of settings are coming out. And the overall drive is that. Um, storytelling fuels the um, intellectual property of d and which means it will go back toward um, bringing stories for people. And the podcaster mentions Corinne, mentions Dragonlance. I can't verify if it has any real full legitimacy, because uh, I didn't get a full download of the, um, of the shareholder meeting. But um, he mentions Kryn and Dragonlance. I don't know how much of it is just him excited about the new books that are coming out, but from his end, he seems to feel that there are rules coming out. So stay tuned.
0: That's yeah, I, about it. I watched that yesterday, uh, or maybe it's this morning, actually. And um, uh, so there's a video up on YouTube and, um, you know he he's talking about it. first of all the the title of the video is kind of a clickbait type thing because you know it mentions will there be a 6 well yeah of course that's clickbait and um <laughs> normally i would ignore that uh but um being that there was supposed to dragonlands content i watched it um his view on 6e is that you know dnd has had its best year ever last year Um, they've sold something like 30% more, something like that. Um, 30, 33% more last year. And, um, and this is without going to origins or anything like that. And with everybody going to an online format, um, it's the game's really taken off and, um, you know, yeah, he, he was, uh, talking about how, story drives everything. And of course the um the other big news with Wizards with the res- there's a restructuring in Hasbro and so they're in three divisions now. And so like Wizards of the Coast and then Digital is one um one third of Hasbro because apparently Watsi has outsold uh, Hasbro's normal toy line if you can imagine that. Um
4: A lot. And And
0: I I mean that Yeah. That that I mean if you think about their normal toy line includes like Star Wars, G.I. Joe, Transformers, you know, all these power names. But my little uh, um Yeah, my little pony. Um, not your little pony, my little pony. And (laughs) um you know, so for Watsy to be out doing that is amazing and i i'm certain a lot of it is magic and how games are being played online now um but uh i have to think that D has um had a lot to do with that as well and um so certainly certainly it's something to be watchful for and you know uh People have been predicting 6e ever since 5e came out. And, you know, as they do every edition, they predict the next edition. And quite honestly, this edition's going nowhere. It's just selling and doing way too well. It's got a lot of life left to it, and that's because they, um, you know, they properly um, uh, paced it this time, and they're going to pick up the pace a little bit. But um, you know, it's it's doing so well that they don't need to um, do another edition. And I doubt they will for another five years at least. Mm.
3: Yep. That was exactly what the guy on that YouTube channel was saying as well.
0: And his
3: whole point was that because we probably won't be having another sixth edition or any advancement, everything will be based more on story, which means We will probably be seeing more game material based on our settings, hence Ravenloft and Dragonlance. So, I'd say keep your fingers crossed, guys. You know, always always have faith, and you know, at least the new books are coming out. So, we'll see how that turns out.
0: Yeah, I I think we got a, I think we have an excellent shot at Dragonlance 5e, you know, just because of the books. Anyway, sorry, Chuck.
2: I was say, if you really seriously want to know when 6E is going to come out, look at the sales figures. You're gonna have to look for years of decline. When that happens, you'll you'll finally see uh, an actual 60 playtest start. You're not gonna when you don't uh, make a new edition when when you're having record sales. It's yeah that that that's really yeah. bad business. <laughs>
0: yeah, even,
2: even for wizards, that's bad business. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, you know, when when they were first talking about doing 5E, it was after uh, a little bit after 4E launched and you know, their sales went down, people were going over to Pathfinder big time. Pathfinder outsold D&D. And it did that for what like a couple of quarters, I think, and um so they realized they had to do something different and fast to get back, and after totally redoing it, I I think they've blown Pathfinder out of the water, you know. Of course, Pathfinder switched to a new edition, too. Um, so that might be telling there as far as numbers and such, but uh, um, yeah. The yeah. fifth edition
1: lasted about four years before they started the fifth edition playtest.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, well, 4E came out way too fast, you know, they they put out those splat books like crazy. It was like one or two books a month. Um and you know all those years of third edition and fourth edition they said, oh adventures don't sell. And now they're finding out yeah adventures do sell and it's because they turn them into events. They're not just adventures. You know you've you've got your um uh what's the word I'm looking for your organized play? Yeah, oh yeah. You know, you're that's tied into it. Uh, there are products on DM skilled tied into it. And so you can look on DM skilled and select storyline and just say, yeah, I want to know about Rides of Tiamat, you know, or tyranny of dragons rather. And, um, so you select that and then it'll, narrow down the options to a bunch of products that are tied into that and you can say, oh well I could pick this one. It'll enhance my game this way, you know, or expand expand it somehow. And uh boom, you you got extra money right there.
4: Well this is all fine and dandy for a discussion,
2: but I think we gotta roll into the main topic here, folks. <laughs> it's it's time for the the main event. And the, we are really spending 2021 looking at a lot of Weiss and Hickman, or, or it, sorry, it's Weiss and Hickman. Yes. Um, once, once again, I, we have some local folks around here, same last name as Margaret, just pronounced differently. So I do apologize for that. You <laughs> have no idea how hard it is sometimes living in South Dakota. Our state capital, spelled Pierre, pronounced Pierre.
1: Leave it at that. Oh, really?
2: You and your yeah. link,
1: Mike, we don't want to hear about that.
2: Yeah, I got that too. So, we, like I said, we, we, we take our own, we do our own pronunciations, right? So, um, Well, but, you
0: know, you can come here to Nevada, Missouri. And, uh,
2: <laughs> sounds like some folks from South Dakota moved to Missouri and named something.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, or, or New Madrid. <laughs> Not Madrid, Madrid.
2: We are going to be talking about a lot of these uh, classic novels. And classic in, in the sense of these are the uh, books that most people associate with Dragonlance. And we're going to go back to the granddaddy of them all. Go back in time to the 80s again
4: when things were cool, like. Yeah, I got. that. <laughs> uh, I mean, were, were they cool?
0: I could just picture John with a mullet for some reason. <laughs>
1: I probably had one at some point.
2: <laughs> at the ripe old age of nine.
0: Yes. <laughs> I Can't okay, make a Billy I'm,
2: Ray joke because that's the '90s. So
0: I'm I'm dating myself here. <laughs> You are. it's like high school prom all over again I'm dating myself oh, man. <laughs> I
3: apologize oh, to man. all three listeners uh,
0: <laughs> moving no, on to I...
2: Dragons of Autumn Twilight this is the usual entry yes. point into the world of Kryn and for most of us here is how we entered into this setting this is a, the first of a trilogy of novels that, novels that are considered by most fans to be the lifeblood of the setting A gathering of friends who have set off into the world to discover the rumors of the return of gods. Within the first few pages, we discover a world that is not like other fantasy settings at the time, but instead a world devoid of the gods, devoid of healing, devoid of clerics. That's a backbone of most adventuring parties. (laughs) Trust me, I get stuck playing them all the time. What was your guys' initial takeaways here, though, from reading this first part of the book that the gods had caused something called a cataclysm and had presumably just left
4: the world. What was that? what was your initial thoughts when you read this back 20, 30, 40 years ago now? I thought it was um a very very
1: different take on like you said on on fantasy in general. At this point I had read the hobbit I've le- I've read the lord of the rings and a f- Few Forgotten Realms novels, um, and as we all know, uh, Forgotten Realms is just thick with gods. There's a god on every corner in every town. Um, you know, the the god of that speck of dirt is across the street from the god of that little stone. Uh, so to come into a world that had no gods, um, and that the world had been, you know, in such agony and despair for the past several hundred years uh, with the gods you know ignoring everybody um, it really opened up something new um, in my opinion and brought something new to the table that hadn't really been experienced in a d and esque uh, fantasy thing because and in, in a lot of fantasy gods are a big part of it whether you're talking about classic literature with the Greeks and the roman type stuff or other, you know, um, novels in the time, other book series, uh, usually has a lot to do with
4: the gods.
0: You know, I'm going to say that when I read this, um, uh, this was early on when I was getting into D and D. So we're talking early nineties here. And I would say it was about 92, roughly. Um, when I started reading um, uh, Chronicles, and so my introdu- introduction to Cren, um, my friend Kenneth, uh, old dear friend of mine, um, he had kept telling me about the world of Dragonlance and playing D and D, and how he was playing this half ogre and he was playing this minotaur, and telling me about all their adventures and everything, and. Um, so you know, I I was getting into D and was starting to play with a group down at college, and um, I picked up uh, Dragonlance Adventures from a um, pawn shop. And uh, I think I might have actually read Kindermore before actually reading Chronicles, but um, uh, you know, I, I kind of knew, you know, my my basic intro wasn't from autumn twilight it was from Dragonlance adventures and my friend kenneth between talking with him and um and reading Dragonlance adventures i was getting a sense of it um and so i didn't have a lot of other dnd worlds and settings to compare to and some of the fantasy that i was um you know sci-fi and fantasy i was reading at the time didn't really have some of those same concepts, you know, I was reading like Pierce Anthony, Douglas Adams, um, that sort of thing. Um so it, it was kind of neat um reading about how there's this cataclysm and the gods that left the world and this rediscovery of faith, um, which I, I think is a a fascinating story concept. Um you know i i still i mean even to this day i still have a little bit of trouble with the idea of the gods of good dropping a big old um fiery mountain on the world of kran that doesn't sound like a thing the gods of good would do but um i i don't know that that's the one part that always bugged me yeah that's that's some pretty deep stuff Trampus.
3: i mean I have to say, when I jumped into the world, that was the young age of 1984. Um, I got into uh through Dragons of Winter Night first, and then I read Autumn Twilight. So the big thing on that section was that um, this was literally in the middle of the time of the great you know, um, satanic panic. <laughs> I mean, yep. literally, it was at the time where The church was very, very worried. And um, I think even the Mormon church, um, I at the time had a friend who couldn't play Dungeons and Dragons unless it was a homebrew. And the reason why was because there were gods in these other settings. And um, I thought this was very interesting from my my friend's uh, parents' point of view, that if you had to hold god as uh you know the utmost of gods you know uh per uh per the ten commandments then any book that had D or or anything that required other gods other de- deities was a serious no-no the only loophole around it was i you know he played in homebrews where god was god um All clerics, even wizards in some ways, got all their powers in some mechanism toward, you know, God came first. God provided the powers for the clerics, and the wizards are doing, you know, literally ungodly stuff. Not directly from the power of God, but kind of like the equivalent of, say, Ramses. I mean, God has a purpose, and so he has made Ramses, you know, cold in heart. And that's where all the evil people that you're fighting in this homebrew are all about. They have, they've just unfortunately been cast in the role in God's mysterious plans to be evil. And so when, uh, when, when that book came out, and here it basically said there is a king priest. He, in his pride, basically demanded powers from God, you know, and the gods, you know, in in just cause destroyed him and destroyed his nation and everyone else are, are the survivors of that. Um, it was to me like, like literally going like, this is what we think of your satanic panic. You know, there is a false God and he got wiped out. And here's now the, the, the survivors after that. Now was going like, Oh man. Man, that is like, you know, throwing torch into a bonfire. Wow, that is cool. I've got to read more. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to read more about this. Like, damn, what happens after that? So that was my experience about when Dragonlance first came out. Yeah, I mean, These first fiction books were during that time where d d was considered very, very dangerous, very blasphemous. I mean, my parents were upset that it was taking me away from, you know, getting all A's in school, you know, all that stuff. So they had a legitimate concern of like, yeah, he's playing games instead of doing his homework. You know? So for my parents, I was like, yeah, okay. But yeah, there were others who were upset because this is a game about fighting monsters. HP, you're, you're hurting people. Is this really a good game for your little kids to learn? You know, And, and that would have been a, you know, slightly legitimate. And then there are others going like, you know, wizard spells you're gathering spell components this is like witchcraft you know this is scary oh, stuff you yeah. don't want your kids to listen to at all
0: I, heard that, yeah, uh, I heard that one I heard that one Yeah this uh so I I won't go into a lot of detail but uh the church I grew up in and by that I mean specifically the congregation not the overall church the congregation I grew up in there's a group of people um, who were um, religiously fanatical, I would say uh, not to the point of being a cult, but super, super um, conservative religious beliefs. And, um, you know, at some point there was a split. Most of them went a different way and I felt that was for the best, but we, um, uh, later on, years later, I get a friend request from uh, this one girl who was around my age at the time on Facebook, and um, and um, <clears throat> and and so uh, I mentioned something about magic one day, and she um, um, she pulled all that on me, and I'm like, nope, you're gone, so. But anyway, that's we've kind of gone off uh, into tangent land there, and uh, probably ought to get back to topic. <laughs> we never go on tang- yeah, tangent. There were train tracks, but I saw this pretty little trail over there, and there's a purple stone. Yeah, well, moving on. To for a lot of folks, uh, people
2: don't realize this book is actually two books. Um, we got book one and book two in in this series. In the first book, uh, the first part, the book one focuses on the companions fleeing, which is uh, not exactly a very heroic thing to do, as they're just kind of feels like they're they're constantly always being chased, and they end up in the lost city or not so lost city of Zaxoroth. Once again, we're not doing pronunciation week, so how I said it was correct <laughs> in my head. Works for me. And it's here in this city that we have our really big first moments of the novel. For you guys, what are some of the biggest takeaways of this section?
1: So for me, uh, Zaxaroth is what got me interested in Dragonlance. Um, at the time I was reading a, a forgotten realms trilogy called the horse Lords, because I saw that my friend Dave was reading a D and D setting Dragonlance and I didn't want to copy off of Dave. So I went to the bookstore and found forgotten realms and I picked up the horse Lord series and in three books, like it was, you know, I don't remember even who wrote the horse Lords, but it was very, very compared to Dragonlance, very boring to me. Um, and I'm about halfway through the second book. And my friend goes, Dave goes, Dude, you have to read this. And so he showed me the part of the dragon flying out of the well and basically melting a river wind. And like my jaw hit the ground. And I'm like, oh my Lord, I have to go and start this book. Um, so for me, Zach Saroth is always going to be the, the point of Dragonlance that, you know, flamed my interest to begin with. Um, just the descriptions that Weiss and Hickman used uh, to to do that scene at the well outside um, just has always left a very, very burning impression in my mind. And uh, that's one of the coolest things that, uh, you know, that I remember reading, especially that far back. And one of the things that they didn't put in the movie, which uh, I was really, really bummed out about.
3: Well, I got to say... It was an earlier part in the book, but when they introduced the Draconians, that really made me go, wow. Like, oh, geez, how are we going to fight these guys? What kind of monsters are these? Like... Oh geez, they've got magic resistance. Raceland, the smart one, is now freaking out because, you know, spells aren't working on them. Like, you know, people are getting wounded left and right. They're smart. They're sneaky. They not only knew that, you know, they, they they were there for an ambush, but they still ambushed. And now we're in the city full of them. We're we're heading to Zaxaroth where you know, they're watching, you know, literally they got caught trying to get into the city. You know, there's a wicker dragon that these um, that these draconians are all worshiping. And now their objective was to basically dungeon crawl a city that fell off a cliff and all the buildings are all messed up as they try to get through it to get to the dragon that basically runs the show and, and is the commander of these draconians. I'm going, like, wow. That, that is cool. And, you know, and, and the very, uh, their very, you know, mishap to attempt to get to the dragon with the dragon getting tipped off. <laughs> you know, the adventures, they just she just tried to melt, have survivors, and they're going to be coming in to greet her. And she knows exactly who's coming. And she's like just waiting for them. It's like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm totally prepared for you. And I'm going like, how in the world are these guys going to defeat this dragon? This dragon is smart. This dragon's like prepared. Completely different from any kind of dragon I've read before, like like Smog uh-huh. from like Lord of the Realm, or, like Lord of the Rings. Oh, well, actually, you know, The Hobbit. And I'm going like, wow, this is such a smarter, more intelligent, dangerous dragon than I've ever met. I mean, Smog was nothing compared to this dragon. You know. And I was going, wow, how are they going to defeat this one?
0: Oh, yeah, that's one of the things I love about Dragonlance Dragons is they are smart. They are thinking, you know, well, except the white ones. But, um, (laughs) you know, I mean, they're very intelligent. They're not just, oh, look at me. I'm a flying lizard that can breathe whatever my breath weapon is. You know, they uh they can plot and plant their characters. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's something that really grabbed me um, at that same time too. You know, and when does the point of the book when they uh, rescued the prisoners? Am I remembering that right?
1: That's at the end of Autumn Twilight
4: and Pax Darkest.
0: Okay, I, I'm shoot. I always get those two confused. Never
4: mind. <laughs> Alright,
0: that's yeah, two. What, <laughs> by the way, for uh those of you who are gamers, I highly recommend looking um in Tales of the Awning Portal at a module called um, Sunless Citadel. And uh that works really well with Zach's Roth. Um so give it a try sometime. There's a few notes on how to Adapt it for Dragonlance, and um, you'll have a rip on good time.
2: So in Zaxaroth, we get our first look at really clerical healing magic. Was it a smart play to reintroduce this type of stuff in book one, or should we have built it in suspense for like book two or three to have that big reveal? Because not only do we get in uh, Dragon's Law Twilight the Heat Clerical Magic, we also get a Cleric of Paladin by the end. Uh, Gold Moon is a Cleric of Mish- Mishakel. We've got Cleric Starter. we got people who are starting to follow these folks. Was this a good way, or um, was this something that do you feel that maybe TSR forced the authors to do?
1: I think it, it was done. Um, in a way, since they were doing D and D modules, um, they couldn't. You can't play D and D without a healer, and especially back in first edition, which was deadly enough. There's no way you can survive three sessions without having a cleric of some sort. So I feel like it was probably, you know, put in there um, at the at the request of you know whoever the the bosses were that. You know, we're going to start off with no clerics, but we need we need a cleric pretty soon. Um, so I, I feel like it was, you know, that was probably the reason. Um, and it gives time for, you know, potential growth throughout the, the next two books um, for for any clerics to, you know, gold moon. Elistan, uh, which you know he he kind of fades out after this book until Legends. Um, but there's uh, you know room to grow, room to learn, uh, room to you know potentially face or meet um, other Clairs of Darkness, uh, the Dark Gods. But I I feel it was very intentional to uh, get it out early for the gaming side.
0: Yeah. I... I would agree with that. The um the whole point of the staff of michel is to allow a person to do healing before um they are fully a cleric. And that's just kind of a story element that was um put into place there. So um yeah, I I kind of feel like that might be the case there. Um you know, comparing it with um War of Souls, uh, when when was it in War of Souls that we found out that Tukesas was the uh, one god? At the end of book two. Okay, yeah, that so... was
3: when Goldmoon made her prayer because she realized who Mina was um, getting her powers from, and when she was offered that same power, she said, no, I recognize you, and I pray you know, to Palad to Micheal or Paladine, whoever the gods are, if they can hear me, you know, all that stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I kind of uh, have a different opinion on that because I've always felt it was organic. Having the story about you know the king priest and gods having turned away, and now they have a staff of healing that seems to be based on powers from real divine entities. And they're on a mission from them. You know, Someone sent them on a mission to find the, these gods. And these are from characters who went on you know their own separate journeys in search for signs of the gods. And when they come back, they finally see it. Here's the staff. And part of the reason they're going to Zaxoroth is to discover how to find that, that divinity, and it was always there waiting for them. That's, that's how I kind of felt like the story was much more organic. There was a reason why clerics had to exist so early in the games. It was presented really well in the storyline because Moon was in search for gods, and now she has one, and she's the cleric of healing now.
1: Oh yeah, one hundred percent. They they crafted a great story to fit the need for a to be in there early. Um, but mm-hmm. I agree the uh, um, the story was great to the setup, uh, the staff, the story behind Riverwind finding the staff and presenting it, um, and being called a blasphemer for it. Um, that all was was really powerful and really cool. So the story
4: fit the need very well. So overall, you guys feel like it's a smart play,
2: and I don't disagree with that. I mean, it's just one of those things that uh, people have discussed that over time. Like, um, when when would be the ideal time to insert this? You know, following game modules and things like that. This this was the time to insert it, but you know, it's always good to hear other people's take on it as well. And speaking of takes, uh, we're gonna talk about when the companions were captured uh, as they returned back from Zaxxarath. Uh, they returned to Solas to find that it's been overrun, and they are locked in cages and hauled off, and they are saved by the Qualanesti. I guess, what are your thoughts here? We, we now get the, the Nation of the Elves are introduced for us for the first time. We don't learn about the Silvanesti yet, but we learn about the Qualanesti. So that is a
1: good in in uh, introduction to the the culture of Um very early on, you can tell that they're very, you know they they don't want outsiders on their lands. and you know, it takes Tanis or Chanthas, as they call them, to uh, in order for they get get them to allow humans and and kinder um, on their grounds. Um, so it was a, a good introduction to the culture as a whole. Um, and I enjoyed it. I, I've always liked, uh, when playing a D and D game, I always liked the SD more. Um, not sure if it was maybe because I'm more partial to them because they were introduced first. Um, or, you know, just because of their general uh, mindset, they're a little bit less strict and, uh, uh, jerkish than the Um but I like Elvin characters, uh, so the descriptions of Qualaneste, the city of Qualanost, um, very cool to me. I, I really enjoyed the uh, the Elven part of this uh, first
4: book.
3: Yeah, I like the Qualaneste too and in their introduction, but uh, the way it was introduced is yeah, I hate to compare it against Lord of the Rings, but you know, Lord of the Rings had elves that were just automatically nice to the hobbits and stuff like that. Um, these elves just appeared very, very different. Like uh, when you see them, you almost saw like Tennis's background. Like, oh, okay, so these elves are not friendly at all. They're they're pretty, you know, biased. And poor tennis, like oh god, he had to live with <laughs> these type of people who are looking down on him probably for like j- decades. I'm going like, Ugh. I I didn't have a very very good view of them in the first place, and um, but they were better because I read Winter's Night. Um, uh, I I read the second book first, and so I had the full Sylvanesti spiel from. You know, Hannah Starbreeze and what she was like and, and what those elves are like. It's like, wow, those are really bad. So when I saw the call in Esti, I, I, I felt a little bit more, you know, they were more a little bit more open, you know, to try to ignore the fact that they were bad to Tannis. They were also willing to accept them and keep them in as a ward for uh, the Speaker of the Suns. So I was going like, eh, okay, these elves are, are not too bad. They're a little bit biased, but, you know, there's reasons in their history for them not to like humans. Um, but their, their city is being overrun. Uh, there are dragons. How do you defeat big, nasty dragons that wiped out the tree village of Solas? I mean, you know, going back and, you know, seeing what happened to the Cuchu tribe and how they got wiped out. Then you see Solus, they got wiped out when dragons literally ripped trees out of the grounds and stuff like that. And and literally burn down elves, you know, that are like tied to stakes and you know completely annihilate them. And, and these poor elves are going through the same problems. And you know, seeing from Tanis's eyes that, you know, things are changing among the elves and, and they're forced to flee made me go, oh man. You know, again, how are we, we going to fight the big, bad dragons who, you know, technically are so well in advance and as dragons in technology, you know even elves can't fight off these things, and they're running. So it just raised the stakes all the much more to see Tanis's you know, hometown get wiped out as well as Solus as well as the Kyushu. So I was very um, kind of like enamored by like seeing how these elves are going to suffer
2: speaking of that kind of stuff i mean we got some some of our first villains coming on screen uh, during this time too i mean you had toad at the beginning who isn't really a a, a strong villain uh he sometimes serves as comical relief almost as in that villain role but now we are introduced to verminard who's who's that the the leader of the Red Dragon Army. And we were introduced to the Red Dragon Army itself. But when you read this book, you, you get a few pages about how strong and how mighty they are, but do we actually get enough of, of this this evil force to actually, other than being like, oh my gosh, they are pretty strong, do we actually get enough of Verminar to actually care about him and the fact that if he dies or not?
1: I'd say, uh, in my opinion, um, he should have been introduced probably a little bit sooner uh like we we had a very you know on their way to when they found the burning um village of Quishu, you know there was the sign um you know and it was about verminard so they didn't know who verminard was at that point so but i think a little bit earlier introduction to him and you know some other acts that he could have done to make the readers hate him even more uh, because he didn't really have a lot of screen time. Um, You know, he, the worst thing he did at the pack was he kept the families separated so they wouldn't try to escape. Um, But he wasn't being, you know, malicious or cruel to them uh, in any like, you know, torture way. Uh, The, the kids were allowed to go outside and play. the, The women were allowed to see the children. Um, you know, he, he obviously had the uh, the men working in the mines, and you know, doing a bunch of of labor stuff. But you know, he wasn't the worst bad guy that we've ever seen. Um, but he did have some cool uh, some cool lines. Uh, I, I liked his character enough. The fact that he was the the dark version of Gold Moon at that point. Um, you know, he was the a powerful dark cleric and. Again, they they used spell components and such out of the uh, player's handbook to when he was casting his spells of you know blindness and and his midnight um, you know effect from his mace uh, nightbringer that I always thought was really cool um, but they could have done a lot more with him I believe he he wasn't as bad as he probably should have been. be as feared as he was
0: yeah i think some of the best villains are the ones that um you get into their head more you understand why it is they're doing the things they do it doesn't make them good people but it does tell you that you know there are reasons why they do the things they do and sometimes they think they're the heroes in all this you know uh it's like Magneto in Marvel Comics. He's um, he's fighting for his people, um, which is very heroic. But his tactics is what turns him into a uh, villain, and um, and so he's not a black and white character. And you know, Verminard. Unfortunately, he is kind of a black and white character, you know, but yeah, I, I agree seeing a dark cleric at this point is a good idea. I just, um, wish uh, we had seen maybe some scenes with him, um, off and on leading up to this point, building up who he is. So that way we would, um, uh, care more about whether he dies or not. And that's the same problem that plagues, um, Ariokas later. Yeah,
1: Yeah. like we don't have any ground on these villains, we don't know where they've been, we don't know how they got where they are. It's just you know, it it felt like here's the boss of this module, you know, because that's basically (laughs) what it was. Um, the player module aren't supposed to know much about the uh, the villain, so
0: yeah, yeah, and we have to keep in mind too that this is uh, Weiss and Hickman's first foray into um uh into fantasy literature and right. and so you know they they they've learned from uh their mistakes they have grown in their craft and they've gotten better at it throughout the years and um uh, so yeah autumn twice may have a few buffs it's still a great book um uh, but um You know, you you just kind of have to keep in mind that it was part of their learning process as authors. Correct.
3: Yeah, Yeah, was it? Yeah, I'm I'm gonna put in my opinion here. Sorry, Uh, I I kind of I kind of believe that was their original intent. I mean, when you first hear Verminard, obviously he killed his own um, killed his own goblins. I think because the goblins were merciful to people of the Kuchu tribe and so you see their strung up bodies uh you know as a warning you know no mercy and so you hear about this guy okay then you hear more about him when you hear about what happened with Solus, and um you you know there's the description of theros ironfeld his arm got cut off and you see there are a bunch of captured elves that get burned alive by dragon fire you know and, and this sounds like a you know really nasty villain but further on, when you get into book two, you you find out he's he's an idiot. He's a fool. Uh, the dragons are really you know doing something different. You know the dragons are the ones searching for this you know this one person that's the linchpin of everything. That's why they're here. They're looking for him, and you know Ember himself has very little regard for Verminard. So you almost see that the whole idea is that there are multiple layers of evil people and there's higher ups even higher than dragon high lords who are more evil you know the new, the next set of villains that you're going to have to fight after you kill off the first you know bad villain. So yeah, I felt he was like a low tier um opponent that would get knocked off properly. And I think that okay. was the intent.
0: Well the intent. then after you mentioned no mercy I will now forever think of Verminard as Crease from uh, Karate Kid. Yeah,
4: Cobra Kai. No mercy. Cobra Kai. Oh.
0: <laughs> Sweep the
4: leg. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, th- I think if Verminard would have been present at the destruction of Solace, instead of just hearing about it, if he would have been directing, you know, Burn that group of people, you know, stake to the ground, whatever. If if he'd have had a, a an, an active role there, um, it would have been a lot to
4: go towards his evilness. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, this I, way is is how much
2: do we get of smog? You now we 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 hear of his backstory. We you know we hear how bad he is. I mean that, that that's all you really kind of need in this time period. Writing has changed so much in the last 30, 40 years that we have more viewpoints now. Um, And and I think Bermanard himself, as Weldon has pointed out, you get plenty of backstory and, and signs that this is a bad dude and you should not like him. He's not your friend and yeah, he doesn't, you know, murder the children, but he doesn't do that because he's gotta keep the women and children happy to keep the men mining so they don't riot. And if they do riot, then it can't replace the labor because they don't have anybody else to uh enslave.
0: Well, yeah, you bring up a good point, is that it is a um product of its time. And uh I, I think there's this tendency these days to look back on um you know books and movies and such made in prior times and try to judge it by today's standards and you you can't quite do that um you know yeah there are some things that maybe could have been done better in prior times but um you know the style of writing though it it was what it was at the time and in the last you know 30 some odd years the, the way writing has gone has changed a lot And, you know, yeah, I like that good versus evil story You know, like Star Wars, like um, Dragonlance um, But, you know, a lot of people like the Shades of Grey as well You know, something like Game of Thrones Where it's not good versus evil It's a lot of people out for themselves And they're complicated And, they, uh, and there's all this gray area in there and. Um, so, it, you know, it, you have to kind of keep that in mind when reading this. And again, yeah, I would say it doesn't make was, it bad.
3: Yeah. If yeah. there's any analogy to, say, Star Wars, Verminard is Grand Moff Tarkin. You know, here's a bad guy. He's going to blow up the planet. He orders the planet and, you know, Leia, you know, says, like, I knew you were on board when I smelled your stench. You know, that kind of stuff. And... Yeah, he's he's a first-tier bad guy. Not like Vader, not like the Emperor. He's you know the person who runs the Death Star and dies when the whole thing blows up. You know, <laughs> that's good enough. I don't need to know more about Tarkin. He's he's you know uh, the one-dimensional villain to be defeated at the movie one. It's where movie two and three, where you get the nuance of like you know uh, Darth Vader. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I mm. kind of feel yeah, it, it's okay to have like that kind of simple villain to defeat, you know, that you're going to That's defeat.
1: That's true. I'm just wondering how uh, Trampus is intending to do Fifty Shades of Grey mixed with Dragonlance.
0: Oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, hold on. No, no. Hold on. Hold on.
2: No, no. I have a mic. Kitty.
0: Kitty <laughs> Fifty Shades of Kit. <laughs> yeah.
2: Right, on that note, um, as most some people know, some may not know, this book was supposed to end on a happy ending for fear that this would be the only book that came out. There would not be a trilogy originally. Someone that came up with that idea really didn't really do good marketing research. So, they were, Margaret and Tracy were, were told they had to end the book on a happy note, which is why we end with the wedding. How would
0: you have ended the book? Well, not with, with Lerana and Ellison kissing, that's a fact. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: along the same vein, I would have totally ended it with the spoiler Spoiler that, uh, Um. by the way, this is a spoiler for those of you that haven't read the Chronicles, that Kitiara is the dragon high lord just like in the movie
0: <laughs> yeah it really needed a cliffhanger <laughs> and it needed to go straight into book 2
1: yeah I, I agree some sort of cliffhanger would have been nice um i'm totally kidding about the reveal for Kitiara because um i, I thought it was a, a good reveal in book 2 so i don't know what kind of cliffhanger would have been appropriate but some sort of cliffhanger for
3: sure. <laughs> oh, a link to YouTube for on the right will we'll, will be like in the show notes i I swear, but oh man, the trauma. I'm just like, oh yeah, you just brought back the trauma. I' like, oh, I see their faces kissing now. oh, oh, oh. oh I don't oh, know why I that was added to the animated movie you know? oh. <laughs> um. You know, I am okay. I'll with that you doggie. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I I understand that, you know, in modern days if you knew there's going to be a continuation that there is going to be, uh, you know, more stuff coming along. And I felt that was there. When when Raisin just basically says the gods of evil are at, you know, taxes come down, her constellation is gone and Paladin is coming to make war with her. You know, that to me was the big enough of the background event that would continue if, if there was going to be a continuation. Uh, the wedding scene was, was quite, you know, to me, like, like the end of Star Wars A New Hope. It's like, here's the audience. You know, you've gone through the movie number one. Here's the parade. We've given the medals to the heroes. And that's the end of, you know, that's the end of movie number one. <laughs> you know, awesome. And, and I kind of felt... They were they were kind of using that same motif um, that book one is like that, just like Star Wars. You know, at the time would have been only movie one, and there were no sequels. You know, unless the movie did well. So I thought it was an innocence of Star Wars, and I thought I was okay with that. And it's like, yeah, this is a lot like a Star Wars ending. And when Empire Strikes Back comes. This felt to me like, oh, yeah, if there's a new book, a second book that I had already read was coming, this makes total sense. I am, like, very, very happy that, you know, it ended on a high note, and now episode two is coming in, and just, like, you know, if you can see the parallels, just like Hoth, (laughs) they're in the winter, and they're, like, traveling through winter places to Tarsus. and this is, like, a nice similar jump just like just like empire strikes back we're we're in for the same kind of treat. So.
0: Yeah, we have seriously got to do an episode comparing um Dragonlance with Star Wars because there are a lot of similarities.
4: <laughs> I agree. Yeah. I I love both.
1: Besides my family, it's my two favorite things in the world. So, yes. <laughs>
2: I'll be taking that week off.
4: <laughs> I,
2: I enjoy both immensely, but you guys, you guys could got that. You guys got it. <laughs>
4: so, getting really Did long on the tooth of this you.
2: episode. We're getting super long on the tooth of this episode. Um, what's the, that's uh, all good. What's the biggest takeaway from book one? So what's your biggest takeaway? Each share one. Just so as we head towards wrap up.
1: Uh, For for me, it was just the the world itself, the setting, um, the difference between Dragonlance and the other, you know, as I call it, more generic fantasy, like Forgotten Realms, which has, um, you know, it's just, to me, not nearly as interesting. Um, It it was just, everything was new, and everything had a, a unique twist to it. There were no halflings, there were kinder. You know, um, there were no orcs, there were draconians. So it's just the, the newness, the freshness, and, you know, by this time, the books had already been out. So I knew that there was a lot more for me to read and get into. So uh, when I finished book one, um, I already had the second and third ones uh, sit on my table ready to jump into. So I was just ready to get going and
4: uh, partake more of this world that uh, I have loved for the past 30 years.
0: Yeah, I think for me, the big takeaway is that these aren't just a bunch of heroes that meet in a tavern and go into the dungeon. They're family. And that is what made Star Wars great, is those characters were family. And... um and I felt like I was a part of the family. I was going along for the ride with them, and I wanted to see where it went. And you know, you
4: just
3: you just fell in love. Yeah, my my takeaway was that this was something that was multi layered. A lot of different things happening at once. It was both a little bit modern and how can I say uh, sophisticated sounds like a terrible word to describe this, but um, they had so many layers. Like there was the whole thing at the beginning, like, like, you know, the king priest and how the gods wiped them out. And then they'd abandon everyone else. And that was like, wow. During those times, you know, again, with the, with the satanic panic, that was a very, very big, you know, uh, top level critique about our times. And then they had this, you know, family, this people who knew each other, meeting each other after a long time, and then evil suddenly pops in and they're on the run with no time to have a break. It, it felt like it's like this is a, a fantasy version of Star Wars. Uh, you know, the excitement and fun of all that was was here, you know, and, and then the nuance of like fighting the dragons and multi-layers of like, not only have you defeated Verminard, but again, there's higher bad guys that you have to find. And then there's a new mystery at the very end about this guy that, you know, should have been dead, but you see him alive. And, and then he disappears in the crowd and you're going like, okay, what is the mystery there? It was so sophisticated, like wanting you to read in more that, you know, it just hooks you. You know. I'm-
4: for all the biggest takeaway problem. is it's for me is it just set up
2: so a wonderful story going forward and a story as John said, I've enjoyed this for the thirty years, thirty plus years now, and I look forward to what's coming down the pipe too, you know uh, I know a lot of people have bated breath and are really concerned. you know what? I'm old enough now where I just sit back and enjoy it, and what you guys think of it, you think of it. Oh. if I like it, I'll like it so.
0: You know, and that's the thing, you know, with with every new Dragonlance trilogy that's come out, you know, when War of Souls came out, we had the same thing, you know, when the Star Wars prequels and then sequels came out, same thing, and uh, it's just the nature of fandom. It really is, but quite honestly, I think if you don't overthink it, I think if you just sit back read and allow yourself to enjoy, you're gonna have a great time with this new series. I, I'm looking forward to it
4: I agree. And uh, Weldon kind of touched on something that
1: we you know that ends up being a, a major plot later in the book is you know this story of the everman who does appear briefly in in this book. Um, so I, I imagine we'll get to uh, talk more about him in the later
4: episodes dealing with the next two books. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
3: yeah. I'd say with the new books, whatever they're going to be, um, I, 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 I basically say any new book, yeah, don't, don't let that injure your love of the originals. You know, I can go back to, you know, I can go back to Empire Strikes Back and always look at how fun it is. I can, I can enjoy the fact that Luke and Leia are gonna like you know smack lips, knowing what's gonna happen in the future. Going like ew, <laughs> but then, you know, but then yeah, you know, she she's she's totally in love with Han, and I'm going like okay, I, I can totally deal with that. Um, you know, none of that. Uh, None of, like, say the the second um, trilogy hurts that in any way. It's still a magical event of just watching them interact, have fun with each other. By Empire Strikes Back, they are, you know, a solid solid family uh, of people who, you know, you don't think are family. They're all different from seemingly different backgrounds, but they're all very very close to each other, you know, through this war and. He, that doesn't get erased when you see anything new that's going to be coming out i mean you know rise of skywalker in my mind doesn't hurt anything when you see you know those guys go through their adventures in the first you know trilogy yeah it's 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 be there to enjoy the ride enjoy the ride that was there and you know anything else after that you know it's take it for what it's worth but it doesn't hurt what you It doesn't hurt your nostalgia don't let it hurt your nostalgia
0: yeah don't let it go and kill your childhood because that really doesn't happen just enjoy it but anyway folks we've kind of run long in the tooth this episode i hope you enjoyed the journey that we've taken even if we've gone into tangent land a little bit um definitely check out wandavision uh <laughs> and uh, with all that, uh, we're going to bid you adieu for the Dragonlance Nexus. I am Trampas Whiteman.
3: I'm John Ryan. I'm still not watching WandaVision. <laughs> and I'm Wilden Chen again. Watch the Snyder Cut. It's going to be interesting. And... <laughs>
0: <laughs> and with that, folks, we bid you good night.